Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. something on my heart for quite some time. I've had a little uh, bit of difficulty trying to get it all together, <laughs> and uh, so to speak. And I want to uh, ask you, if you will, to just stay connected with me. I was thinking about something I read many years ago. Leonard Gravenhill uh, once said that in order for a sermon to reach its optimum uh, perfection, it should be preached no less than 20 times. And so I think preachers would understand that, that while you're preaching, you may, uh, you may even think of something that you want to add or take away, and after, after you're done, uh, you, you may want to adjust a few things here or there. Now, the tragedy is this, that unless you're traveling probably full-time, you don't have the opportunity to preach something that many times, and uh, maybe the tragedy for you as a congregation that is that you're always a part of the first one-hit wonder, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we'll just ask the Lord to help us today. I, I understand what Leonard Ravenhill is talking about because you can uh, polish things down, but in the book of Numbers 21, I've referred to this a couple of times in, in the recent weeks, but I just want us to go here today. And uh, we're going to read several scriptures, Numbers 21, uh, 5 through 9. And uh, I'm going to do my best to move uh, to move right along here this morning. I don't want to belabor anything. But I do feel like God has placed something in my heart, and I want to share that with you today. Numbers 21 and 5. The Bible says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have we have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And uh, in verse number six, it seems as though God has overreacted. But if you if you kind of been keeping up with the murmuring and the complaining, <laughs> uh, God has had enough. And so in, in verse number 6, it seems like out of the clear blue. It's not out of the clear blue. But the Bible says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And so they got more than they bargained for. They complained. The next news you know, trouble's in the camp. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, make thee a fiery serpent. Set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that 
Everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So Moses, and Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the servant, the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, I want to, my title today may make a little bit more sense uh, this afternoon than it does right now. <laughs> and uh, I want to preach to you today from this thought, when mercy loses its meaning. When mercy loses its meaning. To, to say that this is an interesting passage of Scripture, I think would somewhat be an understatement. The Bible refers to this as a fiery serpent. History says that the bite of this particular serpent produced such a terrible inflammations instantly and it would just instantly cause just putrid vomiting of the person that had been that had been bitten I'm not trying to be too graphic today but I think we need to understand this was not just an ant bite this was not something that just happened but not only did would they die but this was a very painful death the children of Israel just could not seem to get this murmuring business out of their spirit it appears to me that God here has just had enough, so he sends fiery serpents among the people. And before they knew what were happening, the very place where they were standing was not just the camp where they lived, but it had become, in essence, a death camp. Listen again to verse number 7. The Bible says, "Where Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Well, I think we could all kind of say, Duh. I guess you have. I guess it is time to pray. You spoke against the Lord. You spoke against the man of God. Those are two pretty good combinations to get you in trouble. And so he said, take away. He said, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Now that was their request. Moses asked the Lord to take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. But I found it interesting to note that uh, this is the first and only recorded incident or occasion on which the people directly ask Moses for intercession. The only time. Now, they've been through a lot. You would think before now that, or even after now, they would ask the Lord. But, but there was just a stiff-heartedness, a hard-heartedness, a stiff-neckedness, if, if you please. So Moses prayed. They requested Moses pray and asked the Lord to remove the serpents, take them away from us. I also find it interesting that God did not remove the serpents. He did not remove the serpents. He just simply gave them the antidote for the venom of the serpents. As a matter of fact, the, uh, this brass serpent on the pole was not even an insurance policy against being bitten. They could still be bitten. The serpents were still there. They still had venom. They still had their same nature. And so it appears to me in Scripture that the people remained among the company of the serpents. And, and uh, the, I don't know if I had the answer to that, but it's possible uh, because we're all sort of made out of the same fabric that had God really just taken all this out of their sight, that it wouldn't be very long. They would have forgotten about all of that and been right back where they were. So the Lord said, I'm not going to remove the reminder and I'm not going to take away the danger. But should this happen again, then I'm going to give you something that if you will do this, if you will look on this, look on this, which seems like an, an odd thing, but it's interesting. They were given a, a sign of hope or a sign of salvation in this brazen serpent. 
I also came across something yesterday that intrigued me in preparation for this. I, I want to share this with you, and this is just a historical point uh, that comes to us from uh, a book in, uh, a book entitled The Book of Wisdom. And uh, it's not going to be on the media here, but I'll just read this to you. Uh, the Bible, uh, or the, the Book of Wisdom says this in reference to Exodus 21. For when the terrible rage of wild animals came upon your people... And they were being destroyed by the bites of the writhing writhing serpents. Your wrath did not continue to the end. And they they were troubled for a little while as a warning and received a symbol of deliverance to remind them of your laws and command. Now this is where I'm going with this. For the one who turned toward it, it being the brazen serpent, the one that turned toward it was saved not by the thing that was being beheld, but by you, the Savior of all. Okay? And so when they turned toward it and beheld it, they were saved not because of it. It wasn't the it that saved them. It was the God of the it that saved them. That was what saved them. And so the circumstances for looking at the the brazen uh, serpent uh, in order to, to be healed, the Lord says... In John 13 and 14 and 15, John 3, 13, 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so I think that while we understand the typology uh, between uh, Exodus 21 and uh, what what the Lord is referring to in John 3, what we have to understand, staying in context to our, uh, to our text today, is that the serpent in the wilderness did not heal anyone. The serpent didn't heal them. It was God who did these miracles. Now, I'm going somewhere today. I'm just taking a different approach, and so I want you to please stay with me. But, but the word of the Lord, this is what we can learn. This is what we can take away from this. As the serpent was lifted up, so in time was Christ lifted up on the cross. As the Israelites were to look upon the serpent for, for salvation, if we could use that term loosely here, uh, for healing in that regard, uh, we ourselves must look to Christ today for our hope and healing. And so as God provided no other remedy, so has uh, to pro- provided no other way of salvation than his shed blood. This is the only antidote in the camp. This is the only thing you can do. Someone may scoff, someone may say, well, why, why, why this? I mean, never before have we ever heard or read of anything such as this brazen serpent on a pole. And, and uh, I heard Brother J.H. Osborne preaching from this particular message on a completely different subject, but he, he, just made, uh, he just made reference to this. If you were bit by a snake, looking up would be the last response. You wouldn't assume that if I look up, my, my help... help would come from up. If you got bitten by a serpent, you would be looking down. That would be the natural response. And then uh, uh, the last thing that we can take away from this is that it wasn't the serpent that brought the healing, but it was the power of God that healed. I'm making that point over and over on purpose. I think it's safe to say that this pole and, and this brass serpent became a very important item to those that were living among these serpents. I mean, if God has not removed them out of the camp and if God has not 
changed their proclivity to bite those that are in the camp, then it would just make sense to me that, that this pole was a pretty important thing. Yeah, overnight, this thing became a sensation. It was, it was we, we, need to, we need to keep our eye. Where's the pole? I want to keep my eye on the pole in case I am bit or my wife or my children or my friends, my neighbor. I, I would think everybody wanted to make sure they knew the proximity of this brazen serpent. I, I have no idea how long they had to contend with the serpents. The Bible isn't specific about that. However, for whatever period of time the serpents were present, I feel assured that this was a very important item. This was not, uh, this was not something to be discarded. This was not something to be taken lightly. Uh, we, we better keep up with this. We better make sure that whoever's in charge of this uh, stays at their post of duty. As often can happen, uh, we continue to read. If, we, if you're just reading through your Bible and you get to uh, Exodus 21 and you read this story, as often uh, what can happen as we begin to read, uh, the storyline changes and, and we, we move on to something else. And we, uh, we, we kind of, uh, maybe if you're uh, intrigued by things of that nature, we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, wow, that was kind of cool or I wonder what that was all about. But then... We just continue to read, and as we continue to read the Word of God, it's not long until we have, in just another verse or so, we've moved on to another subject, another scene, another setting. As a matter of fact, beginning of verse number 10, the subject changes to, to Israel making their journey from where they were to Moab. And uh, by, by the time we get to verse number 21, we're reading about the, the defeat of, of uh, Sion, the king of the Amorites. And then right after the defeat of Sion, the king of Amorites, we're reading about the, the defeat of Og, the king of Bashan. And so all of, these, all of these stories to some degree have their own sense of wonder about that. And so we've just moved past this story and we've moved, we've moved right on. It seems like the story of the fiery serpents now has just become another check mark in a long list, just an, uh, another story that has been told. However, as some may say, this is not where the story ends. This is not where the story ends. I say that because when you continue to read, not just flip pages one at a time, and not just move from chapter to chapter, but when we get to uh, another book, when we get over to Second Kings 18, it's a completely different time. Uh, a space and time. I want to turn our attention there now. The Bible says in 2 Kings 18 and 1, Now it came to pass in the third year of uh, Hoshea, the son of Eli, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was also Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And uh, Zariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now listen to verse four, and and he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces. Are you watching now? He break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. To it. They kept carrying the pole 
Somebody kept up with a serpent, the brazen serpent, even after the slithering serpents had left the camp. But somewhere along the way, mercy, mercy lost its meaning. Amen. I want you to leave that scripture there, if you will, for just a moment. Because it said, Under those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he, he being Hezekiah, called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan. Now, it's important for us to understand that the time span between Exodus 21 and where we are with Hezekiah kind of cleaning things up and uh, they're, they're having spring cleaning is nearly 700 years, give or take just a few years, between the time the serpent was made and the time that Hezekiah came to destroy all of the idols, including this. Among these idols, of course, is brazen serpent of, of, of uh, Numbers 21. It's perplexing, but what God had used to heal and what God had used to redeem those that had been stricken with bites now to another generation has just become an idol. It's just become a thing. Note that verse 4 says, For unto those days the children of Israel burnt incense to it. It was just now an it. It was just that image, that relic, that religious relic. The bronze serpent had just become a symbol of affection. Uh, It had become a religious relic that really to this generation, 700 years removed from these fiery serpents among them, it it really had no meaning at all to them. As a matter of fact, Uh, The word Nehushtan simply means a piece of bronze or the brass thing, the brass thing. It had been reduced to nothing more than just a brass thing. Don't forget uh, that brass thing. We're moving today, but but somebody go go back there and get that that brass thing. And let's bring that with us because, you know, it, it's kind of like a piece of the furniture now. It's, we've kind of grown accustomed to it being there. One generation had petitioned Moses to ask God for an answer. We need an antidote. We need something to help us against the serpents that were killing their very own. One generation lived this out. They were in the throes of... Uh, they were there when someone died. The Bible says much people died. And so, and so among this generation, they had friends on that long list of, of funeral services. There were names they recognized. Maybe it was, if it wasn't family, it was friends. It was someone that they knew. And so they understood this. They saw this serpent and understood it was what it was. They knew that it wasn't uh, just a brass thing nor was it just an image of a serpent, nor was it just a pole that healed them. They clearly understood that when they turned toward it, that it was the God, amen, of Moses. It was the God of Moses that was bringing their help and their healing. Now, I, 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 just, I just kind of play things out in my own mind. I'll share that with you today. But I just believe that, that this first generation... Amen. I don't know how long it took Moses to make a serpent of brass. I have no idea how much time lapsed between the instruction of the Lord and them actually having this uh, as, as a means that they can lift this up and people could actually look to it and, and find their healing. But I'm going to tell you that if the scripture is true, and it is, that someone was standing there. When the first person came up and said, I've just been bitten, and they looked at that, 
and they saw them healed before their very eyes. Some of those same people that saw the healings had also beheld with their own eyes the deaths of those that had that had passed away before that brazen serpent uh, was brought into their camp. And so I am just going to imagine in my mind that they beheld that with passion. Amen. There, there, there was passion in their voice when they talked about that. Maybe there was tears in their eyes. Thank God. Thank God we've got an answer. We've got, I know, I know yesterday people were dying. They were just dropping like flies around here. But now we've got an answer. We have witnessed this miracle for ourselves. Amen. They were the first generation. They were there when it happened. It was real to them. You couldn't talk them out of it because they were standing there when it happened. But watch what apparently began to happen in the camp. The next generation still, uh, they had these stories ringing in their ears because maybe they heard these stories as they sat around the dinner table listening to mom and dad uh, talk about it. I'm not even so sure that while they were sitting at the table that, that dad couldn't lift up his, the sleeve of his, uh, of his robe and say, right there, son, you said, that's where I got bit. But I looked. I look, you see that scar? But I looked and God healed me. I, others, they weren't so, you know, your Uncle Joe, he wasn't so lucky. We had, to, we had to bury him. We had to bury his children. But maybe they were sitting there looking at the scars. And so for that next generation, it was very probable for them to stay connected to that because their parents had been benefactors of this miracle of the brass servant. And so it is likely that they too held uh, great reverence in their heart for this. But then yet another generation saw the brass serpent. Maybe they, they were still somewhat connected because after all, this had saved their grandparents and we're here today because we're only here today because God moved mercifully uh, among and he heard us. Even in our rebellion, God heard us when we repented and God sent us an answer to our prayer. Amen. Now, hear me today we don't know when and we don't know where but one thing is for certain at some point and at some place some things begin to change sadly somewhere along the line this brass servant that had meant so much to so many it just simply became nothing more than the brass thing that thing that's leaning in the corner that brass thing. Some children would look at it and not even know what it was, would not know what it represented. When I thought about this, I began to think about the Ark of the Covenant. And when David began to move that Ark as he put it on a cart, thinking he was doing the right thing. And and uh, and, and, and sadly, sadly, uh, men had grown so accustomed to this box. Men had grown so accustomed to this, the Ark of the Covenant for one generation uh, was so sacred that just uh, the high priest could go in with great reverence approach the throne and the power of God and now this box had stayed in the house so long till when it shook on the cart user thought nothing about putting his hand and just putting his hand against that 
cart thinking he's doing the right thing. The judgment for that seemingly innocent act was so swift and it was so sure. I mean, it was all, and it has almost, if we would be honest, left us at times feeling sorry for Yuza and thinking, well, it just seemed like God is overreacting here. I mean, what, you know, you, his, his heart was in the right place. His, his spirit was in the right place. But you see, God does not ever want his power and his presence to become, in, to become commonplace. Now, I am preaching today to the church in 2015, and I'm going to tell you, that it is a dangerous thing. I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about something we ought to consider here this morning, but I'm telling you that it's a dangerous thing when the power and the presence of God shows up in our midst and we keep our arms folded. I mean, it's a dangerous thing whenever God is moving powerfully and we can sit uninterested and play with children and, and we can just kind of preoccupy ourselves with something else while this little group of the church prays and maybe they'll get over this and we can move on. I'm gonna tell you, don't ever let God get commonplace. When mercy loses its meaning, we are in trouble. I'm going to tell you that when mercy loses its meaning, we are headed down a very treacherous trail. Hallelujah. I don't ever want to forget, Brother Pope, the first time I felt the presence of God. I don't want to forget the first time I felt his mercy. I don't ever want to forget the first time I felt conviction that drew me to an altar of prayer. I'm going to tell you that I'm decades removed from that moment. But I, I don't want to get so removed from it that that moment just becomes the brass thing. It's just what we do. It's just so common. It's just so common. It's just so common. Praise God. Common. It is not lost to me the privilege to pastor this great church. Like most churches, we have a rich history. But with our history, we have the good mixed with the bad. This is a church that has multiple generations attached to it after 75 years. Some of those first generations loved God so much they didn't let anything stand between them and the house of God. They let nothing stand between them and the altar of God. They let nothing stand between them and prayer. Nothing between them and praise. Nothing between them and worship. They came faithfully even when it was probably at least ten times harder for them to attend church than it is for us today. No matter how far you drive, no matter how far you come, and I say that with great respect for people who drive a long way to come to church here, but it's still a whole lot easier for you to get here today than it would be for somebody who just lived down the way or across the river or whatever. Amen. They came faithfully. They walked. They and I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about any church with a long history. Amen. They they walked. They rode horses. They rode mules. This is true. Uh, they 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 came in horses and buggies and mules and wagons and 
And uh, they came, when they came, they came with church on their mind. And they, and they worshiped, they prayed, and, 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 and they, they might have had a start time, but they didn't really have a stop time. They just prayed until, I, I'm going to tell you what I can remember. I, I, I will say this to an adult group, I, I might lose a few of our youth if I were to say this, but I'm, 50, I'm only 53 years old. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know our youth think that I, that means that I'm just about six days away from a nursing home. But I can remember, I can remember because I was a child, I, I, I can remember, the, I can remember prayer meetings and altar call services that went to midnight. One o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning because people were still seeking for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Some of you think I'm on a tangent and been on one for a few weeks, and I'm. You may be right. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't think that's that. But I feel something bound up in my spirit that somewhere mercy is losing its meaning. It doesn't. The spirit of God doesn't mean to us if we're not careful. It won't mean to us what it ought to mean. Amen. I'm going to tell you that that. Uh, that we're privileged, we're privileged and I, I don't want to get in trouble with God here this morning, I don't want to get in trouble with anyone here this morning but I'm telling you that you don't always feel this everywhere you go. Amen, there is a spirit and a presence of God that ought not make us boastful and swell our chest out, that ought to humble us. Amen, that ought to humble us because as quick as this can come, this can go. Amen. You can lose this. You can lose this. Church is much greater than this. Church is much larger than this. Have lost this. Are you hearing me today? Amen. I will not call names this morning, but I rode past a church of another faith. And uh, I rode past the church and I saw on the sign where it said established in the, uh, I don't know, established in uh, 18 something or maybe the early 1900s. And, and when I rode by and I saw that on that sign, I'm going to tell you where my mind, where my mind went. I'm going to tell you what, what crossed my mind. What crossed my mind was what they were doing, amen, in 1910 or what they were doing in 1920. I'll tell you what they were doing. They were shouting their hair down in 1920. They were shouting their hair down in 1940. Amen. I'll tell you what the pastor and I actually read this in another account. I read where a pastor said I remember in my earlier years of pastoring he said on Monday mornings one of my jobs was to walk through the church and pick up all the bobby pins off of the floor. Amen. But he said we no longer require that kind of of service from our saints. I'm going to tell you that I know that just because it's here today is no guarantee that it'll be here 10 years from now. We we had better not let mercy lose its meaning. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm saying here today. Amen. We need to say, Lord, we need your spirit. We need your power. We need your presence. I'm going to tell you if the presence of the Lord were to sweep into this house and it found us still here in the morning at 9 o'clock, amen, I'd say, Lord, we're going to have to call into work and say we got something else. I can't be there today. I can't be here today. I'm, I'm in a red-hot prayer meeting. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
I can't show up at the restaurant. I'm still praying. I can't. I'm going to miss the family gathering. I'm still in the altar. I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the cookout. Why? Because we're praying somebody through. We're connected to something. Oh, hey. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, there was a generation that knew what that serpent meant. There was a generation that knew what that pole signified. They understood that. They understood that. Amen, they understood that. Hallelujah. Amen. Some of these people I'm referring to for us specifically are some of your kinfolk. Amen. Sacrificially, they came, they gave, they did everything that they possibly could to bring us to where we are today. Amen. That's the good part of our history. Amen. But today, a few generations removed from that great revelation in 1940 for this church or thereabout, there are some family members here today that rare, some of their family members here today that rarely even darken the doors. Amen. They come if it's convenient. They worship if they feel like it. They pray if it fits their schedule. And that is the bad because mercy has just become that brass thing. It's just become that brass thing. Amen. It's just, it's just well, we're going to, I don't know. We're going to go to church today? I don't know. I guess so. It's just kind of what we do. It's what we've always done. And, and we're going to come in. And I wonder how long this is going to last. I wonder how many songs. My goodness, Lord. How many verses has that song got? How many times? How they going to repeat that over and over? How long is the preacher going to preach? How long are they going to pray until we can move on? Because it's just become that brass thing. It's just become that brass thing. It's that brass thing in the corner. That brass thing that sits on top of the pole. Amen. And so if we are going to change this spirit and this attitude, I'm not just preaching to hatch men today. I feel like God has put something in my heart here that's beyond just these four walls. Amen. But I'm going to tell you if we are to change this spirit and if we are to change this attitude in the church at large, but certainly in this church, then much has to be done in our own church and much has to be done in our own hearts. Amen. Because we need to get our focus back on the God of the house. Amen. This is not about who's standing behind this desk, even if it's me. This is not about who's holding the microphone, even if it's me. This is not about who's singing. This is not about who's playing. This is not about who's teaching. This is not about who's titled. This is not about this, or this is not about that. This is about the God of the house. The God of the house. Hallelujah. 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 I want to fall in love with the God of the house. And like I said a few weeks ago, if we'll fall in love with the God of the house again, we'll fall in love with the house of God again. And nothing but nothing can keep us away. Nothing but nothing can stop me. Nothing is going to get I don't want... I heard this song. I don't want nothing here to hinder me. I want my life to be what he have it be. Hallelujah. And when I come to that great eternity, I want my Lord to be satisfied with me. I don't want nothing in my way. 
I'm going to get pretty old-timey on you here today. But I remember my parents, and you will remember some of your parents that got up and went to church anyway. Didn't matter if we had company. So now y'all can come to church with us if you want to. But if not, we'll see y'all after church. As for me and my house, I don't know what you plan on doing. I don't know where you're going to be, but I know where I'm going to be. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I can't let mercy lose its meaning when he reached way down for me. Yes, the Savior reached way down for me. Amen. The problem with some people is they don't think God had to reach that far to get them. They don't know how lost they were. And so you can get arrogant and you can get pompous and and you can think you did God a favor because you showed up here today. But I'm going to tell you, I could be in the hospital room flat on my back on a life support system. Oh yeah, that's where I could be. But grace, I'm going to tell you, his hand reached further down than I could reach up. I didn't have enough in me, but he was God enough. I wasn't Steve enough. I wasn't man enough. But he was God enough. Yes, he was. He was God enough. Hallelujah. 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 Please be seated. We've got to get our priorities right. We've got to get our priorities straightened out. One man said it best when he said, don't praise the faucet for the water. You better walk out and thank the well. Don't stand at the window and thank the window for the sunlight. You better stick your head up and thank the sun for the light. Don't praise the basket that held the loaves and the fishes, but you better praise the hands of Jesus because he was the one that broke it off. I'm going to tell you, when we come into this house today, this is not about 503 Cephas Liston Road. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful building. I thank you, Lord, for these talented people. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful congregation. I thank you, Lord, for bringing all of us together, but it's not about us. It's not about me. This is about the God of the house. This is about the well. This is about the sun. This is about the hands that broke the bread. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, touch us. Bless us. And anoint us, sweet Jesus. Mm. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I thank you for the confidence and the respect that you have shown me as your pastor through the years. And I appreciate those that God has placed in this body that makes up our Hatchman Apostolic Church family. However, we cannot afford to do what they did with the brazen serpent. Our confidence cannot solely be just upon man or what we think we can do with our own hands, our own abilities, but our confidence had better be on Jesus Christ. Amen. Our own Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I know I shared this recently. I can't remember how recent, 
but I was so stirred to hear Brother Mooney share the story of Brother Brother Mooney share the story of his father and mother who went to Elwood, Indiana, many years ago to hear G.T. Haywood preach in a revival service. And Brother Haywood travel was very difficult back then, and he was traveling all over the countryside preaching night after night after night. And when he got to Elwood that night for church, he was so exhausted in his body, he was so exhausted in his mind and in his spirit when they gathered together that evening for service. Amen. When they gathered together, he got up when they turned the service over to him and he just confessed to that congregation of how weary he was and how tired he was and how much he'd been traveling. He said, so what I would like for us to do tonight, he said, I want us to just gather in and I want you to help me pray and we're gonna pray until I can get the mind of God for this service. Amen. We're gonna, you know what would happen in 2015? We would fold our hands. We'd almost want our money back. Amen. What are you saying by Why? Because church has become a production. Church has become a spectator sport. We just come in. We want somebody else to sing to us and entertain us. We want somebody else to make us feel better about our lives. But I'm going to hear, I'm here today to tell you, amen, it is on Christ the solid rock I stand. We come into this house. If there's not a musician in the house, if there's not a Sunday school teacher in the house, if there's not a leader in the house, amen, if we got God in the house, if we've got God in the house, we've got all we need. We've got all we need. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something. If you think that just because you've been in this way a long time, that somehow tenure has mystically elevated you above the snare of the fowler, we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. Paul said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed. Take heed. Lest he fall. I'm going to tell you when those steps get too comfortable, you better get nervous. When it happens too easy, we better get start moving with some caution. When it all comes just so so seamlessly and silky smooth, we better say, oh God, help me to make sure. I once heard that, that, that more mountain climbers statistically, more mountain climbers fall to their death descending from the mountain then mountain climbers die ascending to the mountain and so I'm going to tell you this morning amen that we had best be careful and so just because we got little silver streaks in our hair and just because we can boast of I got the Holy Ghost way back here or there in a brush arbor in that meeting or this meeting or that I'm going to tell you no matter how long you've been in this do you know you can still fall amen do you know that the devil will still he'll take you at 80 just like he will at 18 he'll take you at not he'll take you at 80 just like he would as a teenager yes he will yes he will amen you can fall descending quicker than you can fall ascending the record the record the record of people that fail both in the old testament and the new testament for the most part were not young and in the heat of passion lot was certainly no boy He was a married man with children. He was not a boy. He was not some uh, lame brain teenager. David was no young man when he transgressed with Bathsheba. 
Solomon was grown when he began to make decisions that led him away from God. Judas, Demas, and Simon Peter, they were not children when they failed the Lord. They were grown men. Grown men. So I want to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? Not how long you've been around. It don't matter. I'm not trying to disrespect you today. I'm not asking you how long you've attended this church or how long you've been in church, how long you had the Holy Ghost, how long ago it was that you got the Holy Ghost. I'm asking how you doing spiritually. These were men of experience. These were men of knowledge. These were men of accomplishment. Amen. I want our musicians to just ease to the platform. Don't, don't disrupt the spirit. I don't want my walk with God to ever lose its luster. I don't want something as precious as the delivering power of the Holy Ghost. I don't want that fire that I feel in my heart to just be something I burn incense in later. Hezekiah called that Bronze serpent Nehushtan. One generation was so diligent, they said, Where, hey, have, you, have, you, have you seen the, where's the pole? Where's the pole? Where's the pole? One generation, one generation said, hey, somebody better take old Tom, that man in that pole, take him some water. It's hot today. One generation said, we better not take our eyes off that pole because they could lift their sleeve and they saw the scars. They had the stories. They were in their heart. But now, just keep turning the pages and there's a generation. It's just a piece of bronze. It's a brass thing. We need to look to him and him only. I'm so thankful for the things that we have inherited from those who have gone on before us. And I can tell you today, and I'm not saying this to sound... uh, Cheesy, I mean this. My, my vocabulary is woefully inadequate to convey how much I appreciate the treasures that we have been handed, both naturally and spiritually. But I don't want this just to become an old religious relic. You may get tired of me pushing. You, you, you may get tired of me elbowing and you may get tired of me hollering and jumping up and down, but I'm going to tell you, I don't ever want to see our worship services and our preaching reduced down to just something we do. We're just going through the motions. You see, for some, raising that brass serpent in the air seemed to be enough to ease their conscience. But hear me today. Just showing up at church, just singing a few songs, just listening to a sermon won't get a job done. I'm asking you, how are you doing spiritually? I'm asking you, when's the last time you taught somebody a home Bible study? I'm asking you, when's the last time you witnessed to someone? And before you say, well, I'm just not really into that. I can't do all that. You can't tell your story. Nobody can tell your story like you can tell your story. And do we somehow think it's not our responsibility to witness to others? I'm asking you, how are you doing spiritually? 
We don't need to just come to church. We need to come to Jesus when we get to church. Now, I'm closing, but I want you to hear me, please, please, please. I want us to fast forward our attention to the New Testament to a story that most here would be familiar with. We find Jesus one day, it almost seems rather really like he's kind of snapped. We find, we find Jesus, this sandal-footed man from Nazareth, we find him really out of character. I mean, somebody has really pushed a button. He's in the temple. He's flipping over tables. I mean, th- th- we have never seen this side of Jesus. Not even close. I mean, there, there has to be people standing there with their jaws on the f- floor. What in the world? What's the big deal? Well, I want to talk about the big deal. If you'll give me just a few more minutes, I want to talk about this big deal. The big deal, where not only were there money changers, the scripture refers to, to that, but there were people there that were selling animals for sacrifice. Am I right? You preachers keep me straight now. They were selling doves and rams and cattle and all manner of things to bring to God. They're selling that at the temple. Some would say, well, what could possibly be wrong with that? You see... We need to consider if Jesus is this wrong side out, we better figure out why. He didn't have a bad day. He didn't eat something that upset his stomach. He's driving a point home. He's driving a point home. You see, these animals that were being purchased in the temple or at the temple cost them nothing, just a few dollars cost them nothing. I'll just buy me a sacrifice. Think about it with me now. How difficult it must have been for somebody that was bringing a cow or an oxen. They got to walk that thing for miles. Something's going to spook it and it's going to run off through the woods and Ain't no telling how long it's going to be before we just get back to the point where we started. And, and so what, we could just buy one when we get there. We don't have to keep up with all these sheep and all these ram. And these dove feathers are flying everywhere. Good Lord, let's just buy one when we get there. But we're missing the point. You see, they would work for the better part of a year fattening that calf. They were feeding it every day, watering it every day. They, had, they, were, in, they were invested in this thing. You, you say what you want to, that, that you get connected to those things. <laughs> you, you, you just, you, you're human. You, you get connected to those things, and it's a part of you. This thing's been in the family. Your children have been watching this thing grow for 12 months or more. This is part of us, and we're going to take this now, and we're going to 
sacrifice it. It would be in their possession. And so a year of tending, a year of feed, a year of water, a year of time invested. Perhaps even emotions are invested here. And so the animal that they were given to God meant something to them. And when Jesus saw people that were able to just walk in and say, what you want for that? No sweat. Some of those people, their cows got away. They come in, they got briar scratches all over their arms. They got weeds up in their hair. They, they, like to, they got to the temple and said, we like to never got here. Somebody else is over at the tables. How much you want for that? I'll take that. And I'll just give this to God. And the Lord said, this is the house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Somebody tried to give David something one time. David said, ho, 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 ho. I will offer to God nothing that didn't cost me something. I'm not just going to come in here. We think sometimes we come here, we clapped our hands. We've done God a favor. No, we haven't. Can I ask you a question today? I'm not being a smart aleck as much as you may think. What did it really cost you to be here today? Not too much. We didn't have to wade through a whole lot to be here. Let's just be honest. There, I'm, there may be exceptions here. We just walk in and say, how much is this going to cost? And throw a little... That no more bothered us than anything. It didn't bother us. We just cost that. Just take care of it. No sac- We've took the, taken the sacrifice. Taken the sacrifice out. We just buy something when we get here. I think we ought to stand. I feel the presence of prayer. David said, I will neither offer burnt offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. I'm not going to come when it hasn't cost me something. Amen. I hope you understand what I'm talking about today. I'm not asking you to start walking to church. I'm not asking you to sell your car and buy a mule. If that's what you heard, you missed it. I'm telling you somewhere mercy has lost its meaning. Because we can stand in the presence of God unmoved and unchanged. Your pastor's preaching to you today. We can walk in this house with besetting sins in our lives and think nothing about walking out of this house with besetting sins in our lives. Don't mean anything to us. I feel the Holy Ghost stirring in this place. When are we going to stop just repenting? And when are we going to get deliverance? When are we going to stop saying, Lord, I'm sorry, and just say, God, deliver me and help me, help me to be changed? Because I'm asking you, how were you the night you got the Holy Ghost versus how you are today? How are you now versus then? Have you lost your prayer? Have you lost your shout? 
Have you lost your joy? If so, you know what? To some degree, I think this would apply to all of us. If so, I think we had better try to make our way to an altar of prayer somewhere, whether that's here or where you're standing. Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.